good to see each of you tonight. I would like for you to take your Bibles, and uh, let's turn to the, the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, I've had a thought on my mind since Pastor asked me to speak, and um, I've uh, written two different sermons on the same thought coming from the same scripture, and uh, I'm going to preach both of them tonight. No, I'm not. I'm just going to do one, I think. Uh, I think that's the way it'll work. But, uh, you know, the Bible is an amazing book. There's nothing like it. I love opening the scriptures and just seeing what God has to say to us. Amen? And uh, we're going to read here in 2 Peter chapter number 3. And uh, we'll start in verse number 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, um, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before, by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the, Lord and, of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all these things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the, he- the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not the message, but verse 9 should forever clear up the idea of, of a limited salvation, this idea of Calvinism. Because God said right here, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what that word all means? I did a lot of word study on it. All means all. And that's all, all means. God wants everybody to get saved, and he offers salvation to everyone. Amen? Verse number 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Mark it down, underline that verse, global warming is coming. This earth's going to pass away with a fervent heat. God's going to melt it. You're not going to stop it. It's judgment. We'll talk about that a little later in the message. Uh, But that's what it's talking about right here, judgment of this earth. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ye ought to be in, in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth, wherein dwelleth, all, uh, dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom hath given unto him, uh, given unto him hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, 
in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also in the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. What an amazing chapter. We're going to look at that. Um, our title will come from the last verse, but grow in grace. We're going to do a lot of things before we get there, uh, but we're going to talk about that. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we study. Father, I pray you'd help us as we look into this wonderful chapter. Help us to, to see some things from your word that would affect our lives today. As David prayed, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I pray you'd open this book to us, make it easy to understand. I ask that you make it easy to preach. Help me to be able to deliver the truths uh, that, I want you, that I believe you want us to hear tonight. And so I pray you'd help me as I speak. Give me clarity of thought, boldness of speech. But I pray you would also give clear understanding to everyone in this room. May we be attentive to thy word. And may you change us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. By the way, I think that's God's humor. So what do you say that? Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Jew of the Jew. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, the son of a Pharisee. And God said, good, you don't get to preach to the Jews. You're going to the Gentiles. That's usually the way God works. Amen. He takes us out of our comfort zone. Anybody ever had God do that to you? Yeah, I live there. And, uh, and then Peter, for the most part, was the the the. Uh, apostle to the Jews. Now I know in Acts, God sends him, uh, sends him to Gentile and to Cornelius. We understand that. But here in, in 2 Peter, he's writing to the Jews as they're dispersed. In 2 Peter, he's emphasizing the attack on Bible doctrine that will come. And, and you know, we have to understand that today, this Bible is under attack. The world hates it. It's nothing new. That attack started clear back in the Garden of Eden. It's the first thing Satan did when he talked to Eve in the Garden. He said, yea, hath God said. He started casting doubt on the Word of God. And then later flat out denied it and got Eve to, to, to change it. And that's always been his method. As we look at this chapter, I, I'm just going to jump right into the outline for sake of time. I want to make sure we have plenty of time to pray tonight. But look at verse 1 again. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. If you're taking notes, if you're writing an outline, point number one, a reminder. Paul, uh, Peter, I'm sorry, says right here, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Anybody have a problem with, with your memory? I can remember stuff from when I was 12 years old. I can remember stuff early in my ministry, but I walked in my office three times tonight before I came to church and wondered, what in the world am I in here for? Now, don't raise your hands if you have an issue like that, but I call that part-timer's disease. I think I have it. And uh, he said, I want to stir up your minds by way of remembrance. What was he reminding them of? Look at verse 2. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the prophets, and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. He is reminding them, first of all, of the words of the prophets. You know what that is? That's Old Testament scripture. 
I think it was referred to Sunday uh, by one of the missionaries. I can't remember which one mentioned it. Uh, but there in John, when, uh, uh, not John, but one of the other gospels, I think Luke, when uh, the, the two disciples on the way to, to Emmaus, and Jesus opened the scriptures and declared unto the, them all things about himself. I love sermons about Jesus. Can you imagine hearing Jesus preach a sermon about Jesus? Oh man, that must have been some kind of sermon. The Bible says their hearts burned within them. And so he's saying here uh, that that they were to be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. He reminds them of the Old Testament. I hear believers, and, and I know churches, they don't ever preach from the Old Testament. Man, you're missing a lot of what God had to say. You're missing all of his illustrations. For every New Testament doctrine, there's an Old Testament illustration. And those things Jesus said were given to us for our, our edification, we're to look at them as examples. Uh, not really part of the message, but I'm the youngest of three children. I tell folks that my parents saved the best till last. But there was one great thing about being the youngest child. You watch your sister, who's three years older than you, or your brother, who's two years older than you, you watch them get in trouble and get a whooping from dad. Not a whipping or a spanking, a whooping. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, you get whooped, you stay whooped, amen? But I would watch them get in trouble, and I would just make some mental notes. Okay, don't do that. It's not worth it. Oh, David did that? Yeah, I'm not doing that either, all right? Uh, those, those examples. Why do you think God tells us all that stuff in the Old Testament? So we can look at those things and learn. So he's telling them, I want to remind you that you might, look at verse 2 again, that you might be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Notice what he's doing here. Peter is giving the exact same authority to the Old Testament and the New Testament. He said, everything that we as apostles are saying to you, it has the exact same authority as Exodus chapter 20, when Moses came off the mountain carrying the stone tablets with God's finger writing on it. Amen? The same authority. Uh, and, And so... The Jews always accepted the authority of Moses and the prophets. And now he's saying to them, all right, that is the word of God. But this New Testament is as well. It's just as much the word of God. He is reminding these Jewish believers that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. If you put a marker there in 2 Peter, let's turn back to the book of of, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Many of us could probably quote these verses, but I think many times it's really good to go look at them. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse number 14. We usually just quote verse 16 and 17, but we'll start verse number 14, where Paul, addressing this young preacher, Timothy, says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He's saying all scripture is given to us and it's profitable. And people say, well, it's, you know, those, those genealogies, they're not profitable. They're just as inspired as John 3.16. I remember reading one time John O'Reilly's 
was talking about he was reading through Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And he was good through the genealogy, and he said, I'll be honest, I got bored. Now, I'm not going to ask you by raise of hand how many of you ever got bored reading your Bible. But John Rice said he did. And he skipped them. He skipped all the way to the end, to past all of the genealogy, started reading the rest of Matthew, and he said the Holy Spirit of God smote his heart and said, John, I wrote that. Those are my words. He got convicted. He went back and started reading them. He said, I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to study them. And if you've ever seen his commentary on the book of Matthew, it came out of that study time. And by the way, it's important to study those kings, uh, study the genealogies. And, and, and the genealogy in Matthew and the gene- genealogy in Luke are different. Why? Because one's of, uh, of Joseph, the other is of Mary. And the, one, the genealogy of Joseph brings the line from David through Jeconiah. And God had put a curse on him and said, Nobody, none of your sons will ever sit on the throne. But when you get to Mary's genealogy, it doesn't go through Jeconiah, it goes through a different son, and it proves that Jesus is the virgin-born son of God and worthy to be king of Israel. Your Bible is important. Every word is important. He's, look again at verse number 2 of 2 Peter chapter 3. He says that ye might be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Let me ask you a question. Is there part of the scripture that you have forgotten? He's reminding them. He said, is there, is there some you have forgotten? The second question would be this. Is there some portion of scripture that you decided wasn't for you? No, it's all for you. I've said often, you ought to take your Bible and before Genesis 1-1, write dear and put your name there. And they go to Revelation twenty two twenty one, the last verse of the Bible, and they put below that, signed your loving heavenly father. Every word of this book is for you. Did not Jesus say, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word of this book is important. Paul is giving them a reminder, or Peter's giving them a reminder. Uh, he's, he's reminding them uh, the, the words of the prophets. He's reminding them of the commandments uh, of the apostles. Look at verse number three. Back there in, in 2 Peter chapter three. He reminds them of another thing. Knowing this first, that, thou share, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. He reminds them of the Old Testament. He reminds them of the New Testament. But he reminds them they'll be scoffers. We should not be surprised that the world mocks this book. There's not a single television show that honors this book. You turn on any channel of your television and it's not going to promote this book. It's going to mock it. Amen? We shouldn't be surprised. We should not be surprised that our society as a whole is turning away from truth. You can't get away from the fact that our country was founded on the principles of the Word of God. Not all of our founding fathers were believers, but they respected that book. And they understood the only way to build a society where people can be free is to build it on that book. We shouldn't be surprised when we have in this generation churches that look like nightclubs and not a house of God. We should not be surprised when preachers change 
Why? Because he said right here, look again at verse number three. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Uh, you were there in 2 Peter chapter 4. Uh, let's go to sec, or 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 4. Paul again writing to this young preacher. These are the verses that were preached to me the night I was ordained. And uh, how many of you ever felt like a preacher preached a sermon just at you? You felt like somebody gave him notes? Well, that night, the pastor, Brother Duff, my home pastor, looked at me and said, no, Brother Doug, I'm preaching this sermon to you. The rest of you can listen, but I'm preaching it to you. I go, oh boy, here we go. And this is the scripture he preached from. Look at verse number one. Paul says to this young preacher, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall the heat of themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. He said, preach the word. He did not say, preach your opinion. My opinion does not matter. What I think this book says does not matter. Whether or not I believe it doesn't matter. It's true. I remember the saying that used to go out in the 70s. We used to hear this all the time. Uh, you know, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. No, God said it. That settles it. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It's still the word of God and it's still true. In this generation, I'm so sick of hearing people say, well, my truth. You don't have any truth. That's truth. Jesus is truth. If it doesn't line up with this book, it's not truth. It's just opinion. Uh, that's why it does not matter the age or the experience of the preacher. If he's preaching the word of God, there's authority there. Uh, the other night when I sat with the, the, uh, uh, the junior high boys as they were, they were preaching, and I was there as, as one of the uh, evaluators. I don't like to use the word judge. The evaluators of their, their message. And one of the young men uh, was a little quiet, a little timid. I said, man... Just go ahead and read the verses and speak with authority because that's where the authority is. Thus saith the Lord. Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Then notice what else he said after that. He says, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. That means be ready. Uh, reprove. Now that's the kind of preaching we don't like. Rebuke. Yeah, we don't like that either. That's one thing in America. In this society, people cannot handle rebuke. What do you mean? They don't like to be told they're wrong. Well, that's the way I feel about it. Who gives a rip how you feel? What does the book say? Amen? You know, well, you know, it's just what I feel. There's a whole lot of times I didn't feel like going to school as a kid. It did not matter. The house I lived in was not a democracy. It was a total dictatorship. It came the same way to go to Sunday school. We never voted on that as a family. You know, when I was a kid, I never heard my mom ever say to my dad, Carl, are we going to church tonight? Yeah, that wasn't an option. Amen? Uh, rebuke. Um, it goes on here to say, um, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. There's going to be scoffers. We should not be surprised at that. But then you get to verses 4 through 10. We won't read them all again. Um, 
he talks about coming, uh, I'm sorry, back in, in 2 Peter, I'm sorry I didn't have you turn back there, 2 Peter 3, verses 4 through 10, he, he talks about the prophecies. He said, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? So he said he's coming and he hasn't come back yet. Well, he must not be coming. No, he, he promised from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that the Messiah was coming. He didn't show up till Matthew. Amen. Amen. And the devil couldn't stop him from coming the first time. He cannot stop him from coming the second time. Amen. Now understand when you read here in 2 Peter, uh, he, he's talking not just about the rapture. He's also talking about that second coming when Jesus comes to the earth. First time he's coming back, he's co- the, the second coming of Christ is in two stages. First of all, he comes for his own. That's the rapture. That's the trumpet. That's when Jesus says, come up hither and we're out of here. Like the old song says, stepping on the clouds, we'll see Jesus. I am looking forward to that day. My good friend, uh, Dr. Joe Boyd, Sunday will be, would have been his 102nd birthday. Uh, he died 10 years ago this week. And, and uh, oh no, I'm sorry, in June. Uh, but this would be his birthday. And Dr. Boyd used to tell us, he said, I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. So am I, amen. And, and he says here, uh, he's coming, and he starts giving some, some instruction here. He's saying the lost are going to be judged. You understand the lost will be judged at the great white throne judgment. We read about Revelation chapter 20. It's going to happen. Nobody's going to miss that judgment uh, that's lost. All the saved will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Well, that ought to be a sobering thought to you. Where Paul said to the church at Corinth, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to, and we're going to give an account of what we've done in the the body. The nation of Israel will be judged for Daniel's 70th week, those seven years of tribulation here on earth. And by the way, we won't be here. We leave before that. Why? It's Jacob's trouble. It's God judging Israel. Uh, I hear people all the time talk about, well, we're going to be here through halfway through the tribulation. Not me, buddy. If you want to stay for the first three and a half years, you go ahead, but I'm checking out. Amen. By the way, they won't have a choice either. If they're saved, they're leaving. Amen. But seven years, God's going to judge Israel during the tribulation. Then after that, the, at the end of that seven years, the, the nations will be judged at the battle of Gog and Mag- Magog. By the way, we'll be at that battle riding on horses. That's what Revelation tells us. Satan will be judged at the end of the millennial kingdom. And then we saw in our text, the heavens and earth will be judged at the end of all that. Why has he got to do that? The heavens and the earth have been tainted by sin. God hates sin. May we never forget that. So he gives here, first of all, a reminder. And he he reminds them of the the words of the Old Testament. He reminds them of the New Testament. He reminds them that there's going to be scoffers. He reminds them of the judgment of God that's coming. Let's make some application of that. Why does God do all that? You know, that's the difference between just teaching and preaching. Teaching is imparting knowledge. A great teacher is not one that has all of his students fail their test, his test because he's, his tests are so hard. No, that's a very poor teacher. Where teach means to impart knowledge. If my students don't leave knowing what I came knowing, I failed as a teacher. But preaching's a little bit different. I'm for teaching, and I do a lot of teaching in my messages. But preaching makes an application. Okay, here's the truth. What are you going to do about it? That's exactly what he does here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at it again. Verse number 11. 
seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What's he talking about? The judgment's going to come. One day this earth's going to pass away. It's going to be melted in a fervent heat. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? The application is this. Because we know the Bible is true, because we know there will be scoffers, because we know churches will change, preachers will change, believers will ignore the scriptures, because we know that, we must be careful to live a holy and a godly life in front of them. Look at the verse again, 2 Peter 3, verse 11. See then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness. I've heard often people say, well, you know, prophecy, it doesn't really apply to today. No, because Jesus is coming and he may come today, I need to live differently. When I was a kid, uh, dad, you'd have to understand my dad, everything is in place at his house. I was just there Monday, spent a little time with him and um, He's got everything he owns is labeled. It's in boxes. It's, he's got in his back room, it's his little study at the house. Uh, all of his office supplies are in clear boxes with labels so you can see what's in it. You see what's in there all stacked up in a certain way. They're all the same size. My dad's tools were in a room on a pegboard that had the little hooks and he had a black outline drawn around it. And if you went and messed with one of his screwdrivers, Brother Ron, I don't know how he knew one day I got in there and I used one of the screwdrivers. I put it back and turned it. Yeah, it's just the way it was. Dad came in from work. He said, son, why'd you mess with my screwdriver? Like, how do you know that? You got cameras? And it was long before people had cameras, you know. Everything has to be in place, you know. He, he's got to have it all organized and all structured. You know, we as believers, we need to understand that we need to live a life that is so structured and matching to the Word of God that it's obvious to those around us. It says right here, look again at verse number 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in our holy conversation and godliness? Because Jesus is coming, I need to live right. At dad's house with everything in order, his, the, the, I mean, on Sunday, when dad got home from work, he didn't want to see all the, the mail from today on the, the, the table. I think we have a kitchen table at our house. Uh, it's where we put all the stuff we're carrying when we walk in the house. Can I get a witness? Anybody else got one of those? Oh, not at dad's house. No, 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 no. When he came home, uh, the table ought to be set for, for supper. That's the way he wanted it. And that's the way it was. I remember one, one day he was at work and my sister and I were playing in the kitchen. And uh, dad's got this pantry he built. It's from wall to ceiling, or floor to ceiling, this whole wall. And he had all the, all the canned goods would be stacked up there, all the boxes, you know, the, the, you know, the, uh, the all gratin potato boxes and all that stuff. You know, they were all lined up there. Well, my sister and I were playing in, in the kitchen, and we, I built a fort out of all the cans. I mean, I, it was, I mean, we had cans everywhere, and I had them all stacked up. And uh, we were shooting darts back and forth with each other or slinging rubber bands or something. I, we were just having a good time in the kitchen. Time got away from us. It's okay to do that as long as they're back on the shelf before dad came home. I will never forget 
the sound when those keys hit that front door. Dad always had his front door locked. And we heard that door locking, and we're looking around. There are cans everywhere. There's boxes of stuff over there. And there wasn't time to fix it. Oh, we were in trouble. Dad come in. Doug, Charlotte, what are you doing here? Put those things away. When you're done, go to your room. Like, oh, man, we are dead. How's it going to be when Jesus comes? He's going to come as a thief in the night. No thief's ever called you and said, tonight at 2.32 a.m., I'm coming through your back window. No, they come unexpectedly. How's it going to be for you when Jesus comes? Peter's reminding these, these Jewish believers because of all these things that are true, that the Bible is true, and the Old Testament, the New Testament, because the judgment of God is coming, because people turn away from the Bible, you and I must live a life that is holy and godly. That's why you and I must be holy. That's the difference between holiness and standards. Now, I'm for standards. And by the way, you are too. No, no, I just don't think you'll do that. It's legalism. Wait a minute. Every one of you came in with some kinds of clothes on. You drew a line on clothing. We may draw in different places, but everyone in this room has a line. Say amen right there. I'm getting real nervous where I'm going to go with that. Right? There are standards. We have rules. Standards are rules instituted from the outside to, to dictate certain behavior. If you work in a place, they have rules and standards. How you dress, when you come in, how long your lunch hour is, they've got rules for all that. Why? It's to give structure. As a child of God, when we first get saved, we don't know all of the reasons why we're supposed to live holy. We come to church to learn that. We study our Bible to learn that. But you know what we do as an, as an early believer, new believer? We look around those at church, see how they behave, we start copying that until we learn on our own why we're doing that. My kids growing up in the house, we had standards at the house. What were they? They were rules that we put on. Now, my wife and I, when we made the rules, we had Bible reasons for them. But a three-year-old doesn't know that. And by the way, they don't need to know it yet. You start teaching them, but they'll come a day they understand it. Holiness is different. Holiness is when God changes you on the inside, and now the change will be seen on the outside. Do you ever notice, if you don't speed, speed limit signs don't bother you? Did you know, in the city of Warren, Michigan, there's a rule you can't murder anybody? There's a law. Do you know that rule does not bother me? Because I don't go killing people. There is a law you can't rob a bank in the city of Warren. Can you believe that? There's a law you can't do that. And the truth is, that doesn't bother me. I don't think it bothers anybody in this room. You know what bothers us? The rules that deal with the stuff we want to do. Somebody say amen right there. The truth is, when you are in love with a holy God and you get close to Him, you'll change your behavior just because you want to please him. Peter is stressing to these Jewish believers, there in, look at 2 Peter 3.11 again, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all 
holy conversation and godliness. That word conversation there is not talking about speech, but in this context, it's talking about our way of life. Have you ever noticed that a child of God's way of life is very different than the world? If you live according to this book, the world's going to think you're weird. In fact, the Bible word is peculiar. If you're lost friends at work, do not think how you live is weird. You probably don't have a very good testimony. I mean, who in the right mind is going to get up early and go to Sunday school on Sunday morning, then stay for a church service? And then they go home and they come back Sunday night, and then they totally lost their mind. They go and do it again on Wednesday night. That doesn't make sense to the world. And on top of that, you write a check to that church you're going to every week. They think you've totally lost your mind. Peter is stressing to these Jewish believers that the world is watching them. You understand, you are the best believer somebody knows. When they think of a Christian, they think of you. He's telling them, because of all these things are true, because we know Jesus is coming, we must be careful to maintain a good testimony. This, the world is watching to see how we react to difficulty. They're watching to see what we do when there's opposition to us. In 1 Peter 4.12, Paul writing to this young Timothy says to him, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. He didn't say be an example to, he said be an example of the believers. Show them what one is in word. That's what you say. In conversation, that's your manner of life. In charity, that's your love. Uh, your spirit, uh, in your spirit, that's your attitude. In faith, in purity. He said, Timothy, you be the example of that. Because Jesus is coming, and because the world hates this book, you and I must live a life that shows the right example. Philippians 3.17 Paul writing to the church at Philippi said, Brethren, be ye followers together of me, and mark them which walk also, so as ye have us for an example. What's he, or an example? He was saying, I want you to look at us, then look at those that live like we do. Those are the examples of how you're to live. Isn't it amazing? Somebody will start coming to church, and their behavior changes just watching people at church. You pick up a hymnal and start singing with a hymnal, guess what happens? People pick up a hymnal. Start singing with the hymnal. I was with an older preacher one time. I was a young preacher then. and well, I still think I'm a young preacher. When I'm around certain people, I'm tired of when I get in the room now, I'm the old guy. But uh, I was with an older preacher, and we were, uh, we were getting ready for the service, and the, or we were in the service, and the announcements was going on. And so while the announcements was going on, I got my Bible out, and I was marking some scripture where I was going to preach. I always mark my scripture with these little yellow tape flags so I can find my scripture real quickly. He leaned over. He said, Brother Bramford, why don't you do that before you got here? He said, what would you do if when you were up preaching, people were writing out their grocery list instead of paying attention to what you're saying? Um, I wouldn't be happy. He said, then don't give them the example of not paying attention during the announcements. Same preacher, when we sing, get your hymnal out. I don't care if you know the song by heart, get your hymnal out so they know you're participating. You know what that is? That's good advice. What? That's being an example. Look back in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 17. 
We've got to go quickly. That clock still moves too fast. I think, I think it's hooked to 220 instead of 110. It just moves way too fast. 2 Peter 3.17 Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. He says, beware. What is that? That's a warning. Uh, I drove quite a bit today and have been all over the, the metro area. And I saw signs that said, high water. And I saw people who had driven around the sign, and their car was in the middle of it, and they thought because they had a four-wheel drive truck, they were okay, and the water was up to the windows in their four-wheel drive truck with a lift kit. And you know what I did? I laughed. You know what? They ignored the warning signs. When the Bible says beware, that's a red flashing sign saying stop, the bridge is out. So here we, we saw the reminder, we saw the application, now here's the warning. Because we know these things, the truth is most of us in this room know more Bible than we're living. I've often said it's not how much Bible do you know, but how much Bible do you obey? If we were to tear every page out of your Bible that you do not obey, how big would your Bible be? Most of us would have a pocket New Testament left. He's warning us. He says, seeing that you know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Problems. Many of us think, well, I've been saved a long time. That's not going to get me. That's not going to bother me. Paul said to the church in, Cor in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Can I remind you, better Christians than you have fallen? Better Christians than me have fallen. Peter cussed and denied the Lord. Thomas doubted. Barnabas got caught up in a false doctrine. Uh, Paul had to withstand Peter face to face because Peter was to be blamed, the scripture says. Imagine being in that meeting, Paul and, and, and Peter going at it face to face. Wow. And uh, I doubt God's going to show us video of that one. Uh, Demas became a forsaker. David became an adulterer and a murderer. People that, that have been saved longer than us have fallen. You know how you keep from from going into sin, run scared every day that you might. He says, look at verse number 17 again. You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. How do you keep from falling? By taking heed. That's listening to the warning. Now go back to verse number 17 again. We'll go to verse 17 and 18. We'll get the, the, the solution. If you're taking notes, that's point four, the solution. You, you therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. How do we keep from falling away from what we know to be true? How do we keep from going into sin? How do we keep from turning away from strong doctrine and, and truth? By growing in grace. 
There's none of us have arrived in our Christian life. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been saved, how long you've been studying the Bible, you're not done growing yet. I mentioned Dr. Boyd. I'll give this illustration. Dr. Boyd lived till he was 92. He preached till he was 91. At the age of 91, he had a stroke and couldn't speak anymore. He'd been an evangelist for over 65 years. I remember when he was 91 years old, I went to visit him at his apartment. He lived there and had some young preachers that lived with him to help take care of him. I walked into his, his apartment that day and he had his kitchen table set up. Dr. Boyd always studied at the kitchen table. He had desks, but he didn't use them. He loved to study at the kitchen table. And he had next to the kitchen table a bookshelf. And I walked in, I saw his, his Bible was laid out open. He had a notebook here, and he had a concordance here, and he had a commentary here. And then he had, you know, another Bible open here does other passages. And he could only use one or two words at a time. I said, Doc, what are you doing? He said, studying. I thought, here's a man, 91 years old. He's never going to preach again. I found out he spent about six hours a day studying his Bible. I want to have that kind of heart for the Word of God. We never get to the point where we're done growing. Uh, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 uh, that, that you know, he gives us uh, these, these preachers. He, it talks about um, uh, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That means the maturing of the saints. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It means to build up. It says in verse number 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We're not done growing as a believer until we're like Jesus. Can I tell you when that's going to happen? When the trumpet sounds. It means we're to keep growing. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How much have you grown in Christ since January 1st? How much have you grown in your knowledge of Him this year? Compare it to a year ago. You cannot remain the same. You can't stay where you are. You've got to constantly be growing. But grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. My challenge is this. Would you make a commitment to grow? Find something to study in your scriptures. Uh, start studying a particular book. Uh, maybe you, you start studying a doctrine throughout the scriptures. Study a Bible character. But this year, determine, I'm going to grow in grace. I'm going to know more about my Savior at the end of the year than I know right now. I'm going to know more about this Bible next year than I know now. Can I tell you something? That won't happen unless you work at it. Your success in the Christian life depends on it. Your testimony to others depends on it. You know why when you got saved and all of a sudden you quit drinking, you quit smoking, and, and you, you fellows that had long hair, you got a haircut, and all that stuff started changing. You know why you could witness to your buddy at work and he would listen to you? Because he saw you growing. He may not have agreed with what you did. He may not like the fact you got saved. But he watched you and understood because there were changes being made. I listened to them. When we start growing, when we stop growing, we lose our credibility before the lost and dying world.
There's a world today that they hate this book. They hate the God of this book. And the only way they're going to be drawn to the Savior is by seeing believers who live the way they're supposed to and constantly being, present, being presenting that Savior to them. The more consistent my life becomes, the more convincing my message will be. If I go to witness to somebody and I live just like they do, I go to the same bar they go to, I, I smoke the same cigarettes, drink the same beer, I will have zero credibility. But if they see a light that's different, they'll listen to the witness. And so Peter, reminding these believers, said, because you know these things, beware. Pay attention, take heed, and grow in grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for these clear admonitions. May we heed them tonight. May we not just coast in our Christianity, but may we desire to grow in grace. May we not be satisfied where we are spiritually, but may we desire to grow and go forward for you. Before we, I finish my prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed, who would say tonight, Brother Brandenburg, to be honest, while you spoke, God brought some things to my memory that need to be addressed spiritually in my life. There's some areas where I've let some things slip. Maybe you haven't been reading your Bible. You've not been praying. You've not been living the things you know. And you would just say, preacher, tonight God did speak to me. Would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand? That's me tonight. Yes, many hands. Thank you. Father, you saw the hands. You know our hearts. May we desire to grow in grace. May we become more like your son. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.